fleeting glimpses of things seen through a veil darkly. Do we understand the meaning of these visions of life? Why we are here and how little of our existence we truly understand? Tonight we will talk of these things on The Other Side. Welcome to The Other Side. I'm Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. Today, I think we're going to have a very interesting show with a very interesting guest who has gone to the highest authority, according to her. I can't wait to talk to her. I'm talking about Sandra Sneed. She is a science and technology industry writer, a former atheist with a secret. For the years that she spent interviewing scientists and engineers, translating their high-minded knowledge, knowledge for laypersons, she says she has also been interviewing the highest mind, the creator of the universe. Her new book is What to Do When You're Dead. A former atheist interviews the source of infinite being. We're talking again about Sandra Sneed, and we're so glad to have her with us today. Sandra, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, we're excited to talk to you as well. Now, let's pinpoint, um, you know, before all of this started to happen to you, where you felt that you're being spoken to in your writing, kind of take us to where you were in your life and your spiritual being, you know, uh, it seemed like there had been a lot of personal and professional turmoil. Kind of explain where you were before all of this started. Well, this was in 2004, and it was the end of Christmas when I was being fired. And so by January, I was completely alone. Not only was I fired at at that time, but the relationship with the man that I was still in love with was ending. And I was living in New York where everything you do for a living is also your social life. Everybody works very, very hard up there. So I was completely and utterly alone in the coldest January you could imagine. Mm. And I would descend the stairs to my basement every day to write, to try to quell this emptiness and aloneness and panic that was coming over me. And that's where the story kind of begins. It was down oh, in the basement mm-hmm. in, in Secaucus, New Jersey, is, is where I was, my house was. And so I, did you want me to go further into that story? or No, no, please tell us, please tell us what happened in regards to, in regards to, you're in your basement, because that's kind of the turning point, as I understand it, when things, interesting, exciting things started to happen. Right. Well, I... As I mentioned, was writing. Excuse me. Was writing and writing and writing to to quell this this emptiness that was rising in me. And I filled up an entire notebook with just emotional blah blah blah. Woe is me. And I opened up a new spiral notebook and I put my pen down on the top line. And I didn't notice it, but my pen had moved without. Uh, and it wasn't until it stopped that I noticed something was written. And when I looked down to read what was written, what I read was, unemployed, question mark, it is my assertion you are employed by me. Mm. And so I, I looked at that and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a strange, and, and this is still happening to me to this day, it is a strange twist of perspective that occurs where you are 
you are manipulating your world and suddenly what you're manipulating in an inanimate way is coming back to respond to you, is responding to you and, and talking to you. And what it changes in your mind is, is bizarre. It's like the moment in the Matrix when he was looking in the mirror and he touched the mirror and noticed that it was liquid. Mm-hmm. It's- so it really was kind of an epiphany. It was... Well, wow, my world's turned upside down, and this is something totally different, right? I wouldn't call it that moment an epiphany. I would call that moment a step into the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because an epiphany is more like, aha, I get it, I get it, you know. And you go about your your day with the same conscious manner, like something entered your thinking brain and you use that information, that's an epiphany. What's happening here when you step into the rabbit hole is that you realize that the life that you're living in this everyday physical three-dimensional continuum is not all there is. In fact, this is just one doorway of a, of a dimension. And this is is actually, you open that door, you open the door on the other side and an entire universe opens up to you. So it's a change, it's definitely a change in perspective. That's a moment of a change in perspective. Now, let me go back a little bit because this is something that I've, I've really wanted to ask somebody who comes from this viewpoint and I've never really had the opportunity or the guts to do so. You mentioned that you were an atheist before this happened. Now, I know that being an atheist, just like being a Christian or being a Buddhist or or whatever it might be, is probably different for every person, so I don't expect that you'll be able to answer uh, for everyone who considers themselves an atheist out there. But from your perspective, what was your thinking in being an atheist? Because personally... I mean, sometimes I get a little confused about what there is that's greater than me or exactly the parameters and so forth. I don't think that I have all the answers. Uh, but I I am pretty self-assured that there is something greater than me for sure. Um, but talk to us a little bit about, before all this happened, the perspective of the atheist, at least how it was for you and why you just thought, this is it. Well, as an as an atheist and as Christians and and religious quote unquote quote type types who are intolerant of other viewpoints, it's really a matter of being convinced. You know, you're convinced that this is how it is, and that's really where I was. I was convinced that the concept of God was a lot of hooey. It, that that was a um, something created by people who, in in the past, who needed to control other people and large masses of people, so they created some authoritarian figure to rule everybody about. Um, I didn't believe in anything. I couldn't see, smell, taste, touch, feel, hear. You know, something that, that had to have been, con- had to be confirmed by my five senses, or at least by science. Science was my religion, really. Um when this moment happened, and I don't know that I was even 
as far along as you are with the idea that there's something there. I don't know that I was even that far along. There has to be something. I, I felt a sense of awe through science and studying nature and, and biology. and I felt a sense of awe about nature and the universe, but I never felt being. And that's what is different when you have an experience that takes you beyond the idea of this three-dimensional continuum we're living in to this the higher spirit and higher being that you really are. You're just you're, all of your awareness is in the body, so that you can live out and experience this, this self as a body. But the true you, the true being that you are, is really this great spirit that is connected to a greater spirit. And the mortal soul is this molecular construct that the spirit has helped you to create in order to inhabit a body. So when you go beyond your awareness into this higher spirit of who and what you are, you disassociate yourself from what the world confirms for you because everything else then becomes a confirmation through spirit. And that has to come through experience. You have to experience that uh, to really live it. There's a big difference between belief and knowing. Belief is something that you have not proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to yourself and internally and externally. Belief is a stance that you take based on what limited evidence you have in front of you. Knowing is when it has gone through every cell and fiber of your body and being to know that this is what happens and what exists and what is. And that's where I am with this. Now, in terms of your experience, when you first saw those words written down, the the fact that you... Uh, the assertion was that you were employed by me, and that's not a direct quote, but those words, at the moment you saw those, did you think that it was something causing you to do that writing, or did you feel, oh, am I losing my mind? Wow, that's a great question, because am I losing my mind is absolutely what happens, and nobody's thought to ask that specifically in that way, but... There really is a layer of madness you have to be willing to go through and walk through to get to this higher being that that I was talking about earlier. Because you no longer, you have to let go of your senses, literally lose your senses to identify with that which has no form and that which is only being. So when when I read It is my assertion you are employed by me, a part of me knew immediately that it was God talking to me. And to get to that part of me, um, that's that's when I responded, I'm employed by God. That was my my immediate response. And I know that because I, I recorded it. It was actually, it's actually in the notebook right there. And I have to tell you, this isn't writing that 
is hard script. You know, this isn't hard etched into the notebook. It was actually a pencil, even though I've written in other places that it was a pen. It's actually a pencil, and it's very small lettering, and it's very light. And so it's almost tiny steps into the madness that that you mentioned. So this is not your handwriting. It's when these these um, these sayings or these words come to you. This is in different handwriting. Is that correct? No. No, okay. it, is, it is absolutely mine because it's not like channeling. It isn't channeling where, you know, a spirit enters the body or of, of a human being and then writes, like spirit writing. This is something totally different. This is more like, you know those flowers that used to, they used to have these radio flowers and you'd turn on the music and the flower would move to the music? Yes, yes. That's what it's more like. The vibration that, that of the being that we call God is communicating with me through the mechanism of my brain that interprets vibration through the eardrum. So the, the eardrum is just replicating a vibration of the sound that it, it responds to out in, um, in the world. And the brain then takes that vibration and interprets it into amazing nuances and can distinguish between different people's voices and, and birds and all kinds of amazing, minute sounds. So God's just using that to, to communicate with me through my brain. So, so the filter that I am is still intact so it's my handwriting, which is all over the place as to different styles of handwriting. I have different voices of handwriting that is my own. And and then also when I hear, quote-unquote, God talking in my head, it's my voice that I'm hearing, but it's God's words that I'm using. Now, how often does... Um God speak through your writing? Is it a daily occurrence? Is it weekly? Does it kind of vary? How often do you create these writings? I try to do it throughout the day so that God is really working in my day and helping me to be the greatest that I can be. Uh, But that's taken a long time to get that far. When I first started doing this, it would only be when I picked up the pen. I was wa- When I went down into the basement, I picked up that particular notebook that I was working in that, at that particular time and put that pen on that notebook that I could, could write with God. And then one day, God said, and it was this, this amazing day, it was a very electric, rainy day. And God says, I do not end with this pen. And I went, okay, I do not end with this pen. And I was like, okay, okay, you don't end with this pen. I didn't really know what God was saying, but I was, you know, being compliant. And finally, God said it again, I do not end with this pen. And there was this huge explosion in the backyard. There was this gigantic lightning strike, and it hit the top of the walnut tree. The walnut tree came 
crashing down. And I was so scared, I threw the notebook down and I ran upstairs and I felt the, that, that intensity all through my body and upstairs. And, and I realized this was an, an extremely important message that I had to understand. And so I began to incorporate God into my my imagination so that God could start talking to my imagination without the pen. And that was, you know, eight years ago. So it's it's been a slow process of me finally bringing God into my everyday, all-day world. What, or what, what no, no, I, I want to ask you, why do you think you've been chosen for this? Do you think that you were specifically chosen? Is it more that you have greater sensitivity um, why do you think you were the one who has been tasked to setting pen to paper? And I'm sure, and I believe you call them God scribes, that there are or have been other people like this in the past. So you can, can you speak to why you were chosen and, and then talk about other people who are, quote, God, God scribes? Sure. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm sure everybody will ask that, wants to know that. And I wanted to know that. And it wasn't until the first book that I sat down to write um, in 2011, What to Do When You're Dead, in the first chapter, I asked God that, you know, why me? And God says, that's funny. You know, I could feel God kind of laugh. That's funny. And I said, what's funny? All messengers ask that. Well, what do you tell them? Well, you chose this. You chose this before you were born. You wanted to know how you could help God make the world better. And so, in other words, I only woke up to my purpose and the reason that I was born at age 39 when I had lost everything that I thought I was so that I could become what I was born to be. And we've all, we all come to earth with a purpose, there's something that we agreed that we wanted, we needed to grow our spirit in one way or another, and that we agreed would be our role on earth. And many people are fulfilling that role without even knowing it. They they decided they wanted to be a healer, so they are in the medical field, or they wanted to spread the word, and they become a radio host. You know, there's all kinds of purposes that are embedded in what we are already doing. We just need to wake up to the idea that we are living in purpose so that we can fulfill that and have a more fulfilling life as we're doing what we're doing. Not everyone can be a God scribe because it just depends on what your purpose is. My, because this was my purpose, my body was conditioned not only by what parents were chosen and or I chose and, and what who were chosen for me, but also that ancestral line that that my physical being came from. Now the God scribes in history are go way back in Western civilization as early as Moses from our recorded history and and further back from that because there are stories that were passed down through 
oral tradition because God also works through the oral manner just as um, Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks works to what people call it channeling, but she's she's actually using the the allowing. She's allowing the vibration from the higher higher beings to work through her. Um, but that used to be the way it was before scribes, before written language, and before the masses could read and write. And the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible was actually originally from an oral God scribe. In Eastern philosophy, uh, swordsmanship, which uh, martial arts, was a form of God scribing, and swordsmanship came was connected to calligraphy, and calligraphy was also a martial art in the form of coming from the tradition of God scribes. So it goes way back. Mary Baker Eddy. I, I'm just going to name a few that were that are of my favorites, personal favorites, because I've read their works. But Mary Baker Eddy, in in 1875, who founded the or 1895, I'm, I'm getting those mixed up. Who founded the Christian Science Church, Science of the Mind? Then. Um, Neil Donald Walsh, a lot of people know Conversations with God series. His publisher is actually my publisher. And then um, there's also Jesus scribes out there, and one in particular was Helen Shookman in the 1960s who scribed A Course in Miracles. So it's it's a very old tradition, and great scriptural works all throughout history have been created through God's, God's scribes. How do the mechanics of it work? Do you just sit down and start asking questions, or just are things uh, put upon your heart to write? Uh, what are the mechanics of it? Oh, good question. This is not that feeling of... You know, I, I feel it in my heart and my urge to write because you're still, because I've had those those moments that I really need to get this down and I have to use my thinking and brain and my memory in order to to write that. That's the kind of way that I compose a lot of my writing as a, as a professional writer in industry. I get inspired, I'm compelled and then I write. This is something where I have to place my awareness and attention toward and using my will to open that door in my mind that is connected to the spirit of being so that I can Okay, so it's it's like sort of like this. If you've ever listened to the birds singing and you are picking out the the distinguishing between one bird or another, you fine-tune your ear to hear specifically that bird that you're Mm -hmm. wanting to listen to. I open my mind 
to record the vibration that is God and I'm looking for that particular vibration. I could open my mind to hear spirits or ghosts or dead loved ones, uh, angels, any number of other unseen vibrational constructs, beings. But I look specifically for that one that is the highest being that is God in my opening of my mind. There have been times when I have not perceived that one well enough and other vibrations have come through and I've had to discern you know, what is not God. And it's pretty easy to do once you get the hang of it after a number of years over time. But early on, there were times I had to put the pen down because I knew I wasn't that wasn't God coming through. Now, this is a bit of a pointed question, but I'm sure there are people out there thinking this, so I'll ask you and, and how you respond when you come up against this. Um, perhaps there's some people out there saying, well, Sandra, I'm just not buying it. And um, I think either you're, and I'm going to be very pointed in what I think maybe some people out there are saying. They might say either you're delusional or you're making this up or you're a good person, but you're just mistaken. Um, What would you say to people who have that viewpoint and and kind of uh, aim that, uh, that your way? Well, I would say that they're just not convinced. And, you know, I, I, I would love to quote another person who I think might be a God scribe, but I haven't read his work fully yet, and that's Don Miguel Ruiz. And he says, don't believe me. Don't believe anyone. Don't even believe yourself. Just listen. And that would be the perfect way of handling someone like me or anyone. There's, there's no reason to believe there's only one reason, and that is to experience. And if you have not yet experienced what it is I say is so, then you're just, your time will come. You know, proof will come. And if it doesn't come while you're still in the body, believe me, it will come when that body's ready to go. <laughs> it will come. Because we are eternal beings. And. And that's the purpose of the title, What to Do When You're Dead. And on that subject, what can people expect from the book? I want to talk about that a little bit. I've got it in front of uh, me. Uh, why Why did you call it that? Because uh, I'm just interested in, in the genesis of that title because I'm associating you with uh, uh, God scribing and writing down communication that you say is from God. Why did you entitle it the, uh, that? And tell us a little bit about the book, what we can expect if we pick it up. Well, this this book was originally titled when I just had the first chapter written and I was looking for a publisher sent a, sending out a book proposal around. It was originally titled The Year I Fell to Earth because it was pretty much all about me and God talking about me and, and purpose and why I was born and a lot of very interesting reasons as to why my life unfolded the way it did from the time I was born. But then, 
when I found the publisher and was asked to finish the manuscript, by the end of the book, I realized this was really had a much bigger picture for the rest of the world, and people are going to want to know what to do when they're dead. And I was talking to Jeff Herman, who is a, an author and literary agent, that, and he said, you know, that would make a great title. So I chose it. It's also a title to, you know, because you, you kind of touched on this. When you think of God, you think of life after death. Or you think of, uh, hopefully not, but some people think of, of Judgment Day and eternal damnation or heaven or, you know, either or. But in this case, it seems to imply that there's something we have the the will to do. We have a will after death. What to do when you're dead is is asking you to make a decision. And so in this book, God talks about at the point of our body falling away from spirit. We Spirit lets go as our spirit being lets go of the body. And the body falls away. And then... What's left is the formless being that we really are. For those who don't believe there's something beyond this, or have no concept of that, or they they leave this world not forgiving themselves for having done something, or they can't forgive someone else for having done something to them, they're still attached to their past, and the that impression of what they of what they are which is this body that they were, that impression becomes an apparition. And that apparition becomes a ghost of the past of that individual that is no longer a body. And it's that ghost of the past that becomes attached to the earth and dwells on the earth. And it requires a human being to pray that person back to spirit to help guide them back to the spirit being that belongs to God and God realm. That higher spirit being cannot dwell in the lower vibrations and the lower being that is the ghost of the past of the individual that is holding on to the molecular structure that is a, a thought construct of the body. That spirit can't come down and get get that ghost and bring it to spirit. We, as human beings, as body, are in the lower vibration and are responsible for help bringing them on. What God talks about, though, is that the, the human beings are on a path of self-destruction. And if we wind up wiping ourselves out, as we've been doing for a millennia, as evidence in ancient ruins around the world, if we wipe ourselves out, there's a possibility we, can't, we won't make it back this time because we're poisoning, poisoning our food supply. And so if there's no human beings back on Earth, then all of these lost souls are trapped here. And that's a really important message God wants us to know and to, for us to wake up to so that over the next couple of generations, which is about all we have left if we keep going in the direction we're going in, that we work to help bring these lost souls to, to the realm of God. 
Well, Sandra, it's been an interesting discussion and certainly a unique story that you have. And um, can you tell folks where they can pick up on the book and also find out all of your work at your website and so forth? Where can they go on in that? Sure. My work uh, can be, you can get to it from my website at sandrasneed.com. That's S-O-N-D-R-A-S-N-E-E-D.com. Or you can also search for my name, Sandra Sneed, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, to get my first book, What to Do When You're Dead, a former atheist interviews the source of infinite being. Well, again, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Likewise. I loved it very much. Thank you for all the wonderful and interesting questions. And thank you for tuning in to The Other Side. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) 